0: For the next couple of minutes, I'm just going to give you a review to catch you up in case you have I've not been here for the previous uh, messages. Uh, this entire this entire weekend and, and extended weekend is uh, a call to stand apart, a call to individual proclamation, individual ministry, individual work for Christ. And uh, the premise that I've been working on is Luke chapter 11, the model prayer that Jesus gives, where he asks his Father that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And studying from that, we discovered how heaven operates, which is not necessarily the personal ministry of the Godhead or the four living creatures or the 24 elders, but by the vast sea, the hundred million plus angels that inhabit the courts of heaven. Then we shifted to the second evening to look at how that same model, that heavenly model was supposed to be the framework upon which the ancient Israel nation was built to be God's peculiar people, representing him and his character and his law and his ways, his kingdom in this dark world. Jesus comes as the culmination of all Israel, and Jesus does a, a ministry. not only does a ministry, but his ministry was teaching other people how to do ministry, and he was a walking, living, breath- breathing, training center, church, uh, training center for Christian workers. And this morning, we're going to continue right where we left off. We've gone from heaven to the Old Testament to the New Testament, and now we're going to continue into the New Testament and move into the Seventh-day Adventist movement today. And I believe there are some important lessons for our church today as we not only look to, but through God's grace, hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're living in incredibly momentous times, and I believe the Lord has a work for us to do, but I almost don't want to say he has a work for us to do. The Lord has a work for you to do in his power and by his grace. So as we turn our attention to a study of the word, let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll be off into our study. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. What a beautiful Sabbath day. What a wonderful day it is at all to to have life, and particularly as we have this holy convocation with your people. Lord, I ask now that the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writing of Scripture will inspire our understanding of Scripture in our minds and also the application of that Scripture in our hearts. Lord, help it not to be theory, but Lord, help us to have practical application to do your work and hasten your coming, for we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. After Jesus did His ministry, and the earliest apostles, and very after we looked last night at Acts two, six, and eight, and the establishment of the very earliest Christian church, I want to continue on in the New Testament, just a few passages more, to give you the framework that was developed throughout that time, and then see where it melds with Seventh Day Adventism today. So let's go to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. that little sandwich of books Galatians Ephesians Philippians there Ephesians chapter 4 and we'll start with verse 11 talking about the work and the organization of the church and it says here verse 11 and he himself of course this is a capital H he himself this is Jesus Christ he's referring to gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ. And then in verse 16, it continues on saying, from whom, speaking of Christ, from whom, the whole body, and of course you know that Paul uses the metaphor, the analogy of the body as a, as a way to teach about the church. The body of Christ is his church on the earth, okay? That should be basic 101 New Testament understanding. Paul uses the church as a metaphor for, um, the body as a metaphor for the church. And he says here in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body. Okay? For the edifying of itself in love. Now, there are several things about this a bit of scripture that I want to highlight. First of all, Paul understood that the working order that he here explains comes directly from Jesus himself. This is not. Paul's opinion, this is not just what happened to work in this particular circumstance. Apparently, this is the mandate of heaven that the church operates in this way. He establishes these officers so that they can build up the church, and thus the body of Christ continues to grow. And I want to point out something important. If you have a King James version of your Bible this morning, there's something I would like to correct in it. Seriously. Verse 12. The wording is fine. But the insertion of commas changes the meaning of texts at times. As Seventh-day Adventists we're well aware of this, we think of Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, assuredly, as Jesus is on the cross, he says to the thief on the cross, assuredly, I say unto you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Well, it depends on where you put the comma as to what Jesus is saying. Is he saying, you will be with me in paradise today, or I'm telling you today, you will be with me in paradise. Right, a tr- proper understanding of the state of the dead in the larger context of Scripture helps us to understand that the comma is erroneous in that passage. But I want to show you the same thing here in Luke. I mean, in Ephesians chapter four. Again, we'll start with verse eleven. It says, "And he himself gave some to be apostles, comma fine, some prophets, comma some evangelists, comma and some pastors and teachers, comma." Okay, so all of those, and those are different things, you know, different gifts, different responsibilities, different roles, but what are they all supposed to do? For what purpose? Verse 12. And it says, For the equipping of the saints, and the King James inserts a comma there. Like, that's one job, the equipping, equipping of the saints. Then the next job that they are supposed to do is the work of ministry. And then another comma that says, For the edifying of the body of Christ. So it looks like all those people were raised up, those positions, those offices were raised up to do three different tasks, to equip the people and to do the work of ministry and to edify the church. Now take the commas out and reread it. Reread it without the commas inserted there. And notice what it says here. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the church. So their job is to teach the saints how to do the work of ministry so they can build up the church. The work of building up the church and doing the work of ministry is not supposed to be on those people. Those people are supposed to raise up other people who do those tasks. Does that make sense? The same wording, but the comma makes a big difference. Now, you see that this was The broader context shows us that this is what the original intent must have been because we go to, for instance, Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, in verse 5, explains to him what he was supposed to do and why he left Paul leaves Titus there in this one particular place. The the location was Crete. And Paul explains, here's why I left you in Crete. Here's what you were supposed to do. And it does not say to do the work of ministry. It says here in verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. So apparently there were some things about the church that were lacking there, and Paul left Titus there to correct this problem. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders... In every city as I commanded you. He's like, you are to go and put elders in the church all throughout the New Testament. The elders are the local church members who take responsibility for their local church and the ministries that go on there. The local leadership. He's like, I left you here to set up the churches and organize them properly because they're lacking that organization. You're supposed to go and set up elders so they can do the work of ministry so the church can be built up. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 4, just turn back a couple pages, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 are, are, are passages, is a passage of scripture that is read at every single ordination service of the Seventh-day Adventist Church to pastoral ministry. It's the charge from Paul to young Timothy, his protege, I'm sending you out and here's what you need to know. Right after he says, all scripture is God-breathed, rare in verse 16 of chapter 3, and is useful, then he says in chapter 4 and verse 1, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach what? The word. And I know there are many church members who say, yes, brother, we need a pastor who will come into this church and preach the word to us. But keep watching. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And again, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. He said there's an unstable, un- uncentered, un- 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 ungrounded people out there who don't know what to believe. Your job is to go teach them the truth, preach the word. Now, verse five, "But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and now notice this: do the work of a what? An evangelist fulfill your ministry. His ministry was to preach the word evangelistically. Do the work of an evangelist. Now let me ask you a question. Who do evangelists preach to? Believers or non-believers? He said, you preach the word, and he tells them who to. Be an evangelist. There's people who don't know what to think, what to believe. It's a crazy world out there. Preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist, and thus fulfill your ministry. Now that might seem everybody's, oh, that's fine, but that's a radical change of what we expect of our pastors these days. We expect a pastor to preach the word to us. You hear it. I'm going to go to this church. I have the great pastor. They're preaching. Oh, this church. No, no, no. The pastor can't preach with it. Oof. Got to go to. We're looking for a pastor to preach to us. But apparently, pastors are supposed to preach to others and do the work of an evangelist. Oh, no, 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 no. We have pastors now, and there's evangelists who do that. Pastors, slow down. By the way, just. I, I'm trying to learn the lesson. Of of, of saying anything that might even be remotely questionable, controversial, and let inspiration do it for me. Right? I'm gonna hide behind the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, and if you have a beef with that, you have a beef with them, right? It keeps me safe. Anyway, The Upward Look, page 264. The Upward Look, page 264. Mrs. White writes, My brothers and sisters, there is something more for you to do than to sit in your churches Sabbath after Sabbath and listen to the preaching of the word. You have a work to do for your friends and neighbors. God requires that you visit these families and seek to create an interest in the truth of his time. You are not laboring together with God if you neglect the work of helping others to take hold upon eternal realities. Our ministers are not to be encouraged to hover about the churches, to repeat to the believers week after week the same truths. Now, I believe we've done a pretty thorough Bible study up to this point of the working methodology of God in heaven with his angels being the frontline workers. Notice the latter that Jesus is. He, Jesus doesn't come to do everything personally. He sends his angels up and down. He sends others. He delegates authority. You go do that's what ancient Israel was set up to do. Jesus Christ, from the very beginning, the first thing he says to his disciples, follow me and I will make you, what? Fishers of men. And all throughout his ministry, he was training, training, training. And finally he leaves and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go. This is the bookends of his ministry. It's the fulfillment of it all. He says, not only have I come to minister, but I've taught you how to minister. Now you go and do Jesus was a living, breathing, training center for Christian workers. And apparently the New Testament model had the same thing. When the dispute came up about the distribution of of things, uh, of of clothes amongst the widows, Acts chapter 6, there was a temptation to hover over the church in Jerusalem. Mrs. White makes this patently clear, especially in chapter 8 of Acts and her comments in Acts of the Apostles about this, that the the great temptation was to start looking to the pastor. By the way, that was the people's problem in the Old Testament too. They started looking to Moses. Moses. Oh, we have to have someone go before us, and the, if you read carefully, Moses, the golden calf was a replacement for Moses. They needed something they could see, oh, these are our gods, Whoo, oh. thank goodness we have that, you know? And Christ was always trying to say, no, you give them to eat, you share the thing, you take, you move the stone away, you unwrap it, help, you do. By the way, this biblical framework, Old Testament, New Testament especially, was the Building foundation of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. I'm going to, and I'll give you the date for each of these statements, and I'll tell you who said them, and you'll notice a trend over the years. Okay. In 1886, when asked by the Wabash, Indiana Plain Dealer newspaper in an interview, the question, "By what means have you carried forward your work so rapidly?" Because in 1886, the Seventh Day Adventist movement was taking off. Elder G. B. Starr replied, "Well." In the first place, this is his very first thought. How have you grown so quickly? Well, in the first place, we have no settled pastors. Our churches are taught to take care of themselves while nearly all of our ministers work as evangelists in new fields. We raise up pastors not to hover over the churches, but to make new ones. 26 years later in 1912, General Conference President, A.G. Daniels, at a ministerial institute address in Los Angeles, California, made the comment, we have not settled our ministers over churches as pastors to any large extent. Okay, at first, 1886, no settled pastors. 1912, not many. Some, but not much. Not to any large extent. Now notice where they have decided to settle them. In some of the very large churches, we have elected pastors. But as a rule, we have held ourselves ready for field service, evangelistic work. And our brethren and sisters have held themselves ready to maintain their church services and carry forward their church work without settled pastors. Then he goes on to say, peering almost prophetically, of course he was inspired by the Lord, but he explains what he believes the future would look like if we were to shift towards a settled pastor model, and I hope this will never be the uh, never cease to be the order of affairs in this denomination. For when we cease our forward movement, work uh, forward movement work, and begin to settle over our churches to stay by them and do their thinking and their praying and their work that is to be done, then our churches will begin to weaken and to lose their life and spirit and become paralyzed and fossilized, and our work will be on a retreat. We're going to start losing numbers instead of gaining if this model takes hold widespread. Forty-five years later, 1957, in a lecture given at the Washington Missionary College and Seventh Avenue Seminary, H.M. Res. Richard Sr., lamented the then-current situation in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And these were his recollections growing up. He said, and he's looking at that current situation at that time, the time of too many of our preachers, instead of being occupied with carrying the message into new fields, is taking up and settling church difficulties and laboring for men and women who should be towers of strength instead of subjects for labor. Then he goes and he looks back in his early days. When I was baptized and later became a young preacher, we looked upon churches, and by that he means other denominations, that had to have have settled pastors over every flock as being decadent. Most of our preachers were out on the firing lines, holding meetings, winning men to Christ and raising up new churches. Then every few months they would come around and visit the churches that had already been established, and this seemed to be, according to our view of it, the plan of the apostolic church. We were just trying to follow biblical counsel. And we would look at those churches that every church has to have their own pastor doing this thing. We thought that was just decadent. What's wrong? Get up and work. That was my paraphrase on that. He didn't say that. Now, in the Elder's Handbook that I have in my office, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Elder's Handbook, there is such a thing just so you know. I believe the edition that I have was written in 1994. It's on page 23. If you have that little green copy of it, you'll find this following statement. During the Middle Ages, the clergy largely took over the work of the church. The Seventh-day Adventist church still struggles to overcome that medieval tradition and seeks to restore the biblical concept that all believers are ministers. Members in general, and elders in particular, need a greater vision of their significance and responsibility in the church and its work. They're writing this Elder's Handbook saying, the way things are often done is not biblically tenable. And it's not pragmatically bringing forth fruit. Now, I went down to the ABC just this week, and picked up the 2013 printed edition of the Seventh-day Adventist Elder's Hand, because I wanted to show you this quote directly from the book. But that quote has now been removed. Or at least it's been moved to a place I can't find it. (laughs) Okay, look there. If it's there, praise the Lord. But I did find this passage on page 28. I'll just read it to you directly from here, just to make sure you don't think I'm making it up. (laughs) And listen carefully to the shift in thinking. The 7th Avenue church is growing rapidly. And many churches are understaffed. Right? It used to be, we need to get back to the model. They're relying on their pastors too much. We need to get the elders and the lay members involved. Now it's, the church is growing rapidly, praise the Lord. But as a result, we've got some churches that don't have pastors. In such situations... There may be large multi-church districts where a pastor is shared among several churches and is able to visit each church only once every two or three months. Right? That's like, sad, a stopgap measure. And then it goes on to say, it is the faithful service of local elders that helps keep these churches strong and growing. So those poor churches that don't have the resources to have their own pastor, until they can do that, will have to rely on the elders. Where HMS Richard Richards Sr. said, that's what we thought was the ideal. Now we're looking at it as like something bad. What happened to our thinking? Now it's interesting that they talk about a medieval tradition. That's code. That's Catholic. Right? It's a priestly model where every person, every individual, every demographic in the church needs their own pastor to to hover over them, to take care of the things, to settle their controversies, to deal with their things. And and the, the larger the church gets, the more pastors you need. Now I'm going to read you some statements from the pen of inspiration. I'll give you the reference for them. If you have your little app, you can type it in right as I go and make sure that we're saying the truth here. Evangelism, page 381. If the proper instruction were given, if the proper methods were followed, every church member would do his work as a member of the body. He would do Christian missionary work. But the churches are dying. And they want a minister to preach to them. She continues. They should be taught that unless they can stand alone without a minister, they need to be converted anew and baptized anew. They need to be born again. Ministry of Healing, page 149. Every church should be a training school, training school for Christian workers. Its members should be taught how to give Bible readings, how to conduct and teach Sabbath school classes, how best to help the poor and to care for the sick, how to work for the unconverted. The church should be school. Atlantic Union Gleaner, January 8, 1902. There should not be a call to have settled pastors over our churches. But let the life-giving power of the truth impress the individual members to act, leading them to labor interestedly to carry on efficient missionary work in each locality. As the hand of God, the church is to be educated and trained to do effective service. Its members are to be the Lord's devoted Christian workers. Now, that was the Atlantic Union gleaner in 1902. Okay, January, a few months later, the Pacific Union recorder of the same year. Oh, what a work there is before us. Our ministers are not to hover over those who have received the message. Just as soon as a church is organized, let the minister set the members to work. The newly formed churches will need to be educated. The minister should devote more of his time to educating than to preaching. He should teach the people how to extend the knowledge of the truth. More time teaching than preaching. Testimonies to the Church, Volume 7, pages 19 and 20. The greatest help that can be given to our people is to teach them to work for God and to depend on him and not on the ministers. She continues. Let the minister devote more of his time to educating than to preaching. Let him teach the people how to give to others the knowledge they have received. Ministry of Healing, page 147. Everywhere there is a tendency to substitute the work of organizations for individual effort. Think about the wisdom of that. I don't have to do any practical medical missionary work. We have hospitals. I don't have to train. Or do- we've got a church. We've got a school. We've got, we've got an institution that will take care of that. Here we are, send us, which is code for here they are, send them. That was, my, that was not hers. That was me. Ministry of Healing 147, continuing. Everywhere there is a tendency to substitute the work of organizations for individual effort. Human wisdom tends to consolidation, to centralization, to the building up of great churches and institutions. Multitudes leave to institutions and organizations the work of benevolence. They excuse themselves from contact with the world, and their hearts grow cold. They become self-absorbed and unimpressible. Love for God and man dies out of the soul. Christ commits to his followers an individual work, a work that cannot be done by proxy. Ministry to the sick and the poor, the giving of the gospel to the lost, is not to be left to the committees or organized charities. Individual responsibility, individual effort, personal sacrifice is the requirement of the gospel. I especially like Evangelism 382. If the ministers would get out of the way, her words, not mine. If the ministers would get out of the way, if they would go forth into new fields, the members would be obliged to bear responsibilities and their capabilities would increase by use. I think we have evangelistic muscles that have atrophied in the pews. Review and Herald, October 22, 1889. If church members are educated to be silent and useless members, instead of befitting the church, benefiting the church, they will be a hindrance to its advancement and growth. But apparently, notice that you have to be educated to be silent and useless. You notice whenever you first come into the message, you can't get people to be quiet. You know, they go to some evangelistic crusade, they're telling their cousin, their friend, their post office man, Did you know about the mark of the beast, the state of the dead, the second come? Jesus coming soon. we put them in a church. Oh, calm calm down, calm down, calm down. It's going to be great. We're going to have an evangelist come in about six, seven months, or six, seven years, depending on the church. And um, prophetic time. (laughs) That was good, that was good. And they're going to take care of that. You know, we don't really, I mean... Especially you, you knew, you don't know exactly what to say, and, and you know none of us have had the Bible training that the the, the, the paid clergy have had. So let's leave to them, and we're going to support with our tithes and offerings, which of course we should support with our tithes and offerings. I'm not getting as tithes and offerings, but that doesn't excuse you from your work. But we have this model. No, 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 no. We're large enough, we 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 return enough tithe. We we've earned ourselves a pastor. And we've got young people, we need a youth pastor, we got children, we need a children's pastor, we got a sound system, we need an A V pastor, we have an internet, we need a. You laugh. I'm not making this up. Literal stuff. Every little demographic, everything. We need a middle-aged pastor, senior citizen pastor. We need every little, every demographic needs, and then it boils down to till every individual returns their tithes and offerings to have someone minister to them. Instead of the biblical model, which their job is to get you to do your job. Review and Herald still, October 22, 1889. If church members are educated to be silent and useless members instead of benefiting the church, they will be a hindrance to its advancement and growth. If they are educated to lean upon the minister, they will become only inefficient and demoralized members, and the church will be powerless instead of active and efficient. Review and Herald, July 16, 1908. So that last one was 1889, this was 1908. This wasn't for just a particular time in a particular place. This was broadside. This is the big picture. There are many who have never heard from the word, the reasons for our faith, and yet some of our ministers feel a burden to hover over little companies of believers in an effort to hold them together. The best way to hold them together is to induce them to maintain a living connection with God and to exert their influence in seeking to draw others to him. Gospel workers, page 197 and 198. In some respects, the pastor occupies a position similar to that of the foreman of a gang of laboring men or the captain of a ship's crew. They are expected to see that the men over whom they are set do the work assigned to them correctly and promptly, and only in case of emergency are they to execute in detail. Then she illustrates this with a story. I'll share it with you now. The owner of a large mill once found his superintendent in a wheel pit making some simple repairs while half a dozen workmen in the line were standing by idly looking on the proprietor after learning the facts so as to be sure that no injustice was done called the foreman to his office and handed him his discharge with full pay hey i saw you working in the wheel pit yeah i'm working really hard fantastic you're fired In surprise, the foreman asked for an explanation. I'm working so hard I'm burnt out. I'm working myself to death and you're going to fire me? I'm the only one working. <laughs> and basically the is like, that's my point. You're the only one working. I employed you to keep six men at work. I found the six idle and you doing the work of but one. Your work could have been done just as well by any one of the six. By the way, keep that in mind. Oh, I couldn't possibly do a Bible study as well as a pastor. Yes, you can. The reason you perhaps can't now is because you haven't done it. Or haven't done it enough and you've got wobbly little legs. They'll get stronger. Keep walking. It's okay. I found the six idol, in you doing the work of but one. Your work could have been just as could be done just as well as by any one of the six. I cannot afford to pay the wages of seven for you to teach the six how to be idle. By your work, you're teaching idleness to others. Your job is to get them to work. Then she explains, this incident may be applicable in some cases, and and not others, and, and others not, but many pastors fail in not knowing how or in not trying to get the full membership of the church actively engaged in the various departments of church work. If pastors would give more attention to getting and keeping their flock actively engaged at work, they would accomplish more good, have more time for study and religious visiting, and also avoid many causes of friction. You know, uh, we b- just finished up a, a 25-part evangelistic campaign at, a, at, a, at a, the second church that I, that I pastor there in the Michigan conference, and Uh, You know, for the entire five weeks we were doing this, the little incidental details of life just kind of melted away. There was a unity. There was a a spirit amongst the people. They were out giving literature. They went door to door. They were inviting their friends and families. And and though we only had, you know, we only have on a Sabbath maybe 30, 35 in attendance. And each meeting was only 20 20, uh, to 30 people. By the end of it, we had seven people decide to get baptized. And that's great. And now we're going to put them to work, train them, and bring... There must be, and I'm not good at it yet either. I'm a pastor and I never learned this stuff, okay? I'm going to be very careful. I'm not throwing pastors under the bus. We're all under there together. But it's time to climb out by the power of grace of God. By the way, if you notice, again, like I mentioned, there's a tendency for the bigger the church gets to think that we need more pastors, You know, we have more people to care for, so we need more people to be the caregivers. Again, the subtle model is pastoral ministry exists to pastor and minister to us, right? Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 155. It does a church no good to have two or three ministers waiting upon it. Review and Herald, August 26, 1902. Our ministers are to go forth to proclaim the message of present truth to those who have not heard it. And our churches should not feel jealous and neglected if they do not receive ministerial labor. They should themselves take up the burden and labor most earnestly for souls. Believers are to have root in themselves, striking firm root in Christ that they may bear much fruit to his glory. As one man, they are to strive to attain one object, the salvation of souls. She continues, it is not God's purpose that ministers should be left to do the greatest part of the work of sowing the seeds of truth. Men who are not called to the gospel ministry are to be encouraged to labor for the master according to their several ability. And not everyone's going to be a public evangelist. That's not what I'm calling you today. I don't know what your gift is, but I promise you it ends in soul winning. I don't know if it's hospitality. I don't know if it's generosity. I don't know if it's creativity. I don't know if it's technology. I don't know it. Maybe it's speaking. Maybe it's writing. I don't know what, and you may not know what it is either because you haven't tried anything. I don't know. But it might be the case that you have a latent ability. You don't even have to necessarily be a spiritual gift, just something you come with with standard operating equipment. But whatever you do, it should be for the aim of serving others and winning people to Jesus. That's the bottom line of ministry. And my job as a pastor is to put that idea in your mind, and if you get mad at me, take it up with inspiration. It is not God's purpose that the minister should be left to do the greatest part of the work, sowing the seeds of truth. Men, are not called, men who are not called to the gospel ministry are to be encouraged to labor for the master according to their several ability. Hundreds of men and women, now idle, could do acceptable service. By carrying the truth into the homes of their, neighbor, of their neighbors and friends, they could do a great work for the master. God is no respecter of persons. He will use humble, devoted Christians who have the love of the truth in their hearts. Let such ones engage in service for him by doing house-to-house work, sitting by the fireside. Such men, if humble, discreet, and godly, can do more to meet the real needs of families than could a minister. You can do more than the minister, even though you may not do the same thing as the minister. But if you have a friendship, a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor, just sit by their fireside, get to know them, mingle with them. And draw them to Jesus. Open the word of truth to them. You are a frontline minister in the kingdom of God. And of course, Gospel Workers 352. The work of God in the earth can never be finished. By the way, it doesn't end there. Praise the Lord for that, right? Amen. The work of God in the earth can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. Until the church works, we're not gonna finish the work. You ever notice that? We talk about finishing the work. But one of the prerequisites to finishing a work is starting the work. Right? Somehow we, we think that magically a work's gonna get finished that we're not even doing. That never worked with me with homework or any other enterprise. You know, it's like if I, just, if I just close my eyes and hope somebody else will do it, it'll get turned in on time and we'll get an A. Nope, you fail. That's what happens. Now, the Lord is going to return. The Lord is going to have a people. There are going to be people who take up this mantle of personal effort, Bible study, witnessing, soul winning, personal benevolence to those around them, and they're going to do the work of God. I don't know how big the group is going to be, but somebody's going to do it. And you look at the signs of the end. We're coming down to it, friends. It is your time to work for Jesus. The church has too many watchers and not nearly enough workers. I'm just going to tell you some things about my personal philosophy now. Some very current things in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I'm glad, by the way, ecstatic, thrilled, that in recent years so many evangelism training schools have popped up all over the country. You know, from Mission College to AFCO, Arise, Souls, Life, NETS. I mean, any acronym you can think of. They're out there. Praise the Lord for them, doing a great work. And as a pastor, I'll be honest with you. Part of me is thrilled that these souls exist, and the other part of me is embarrassed to know words that they have to exist. I mean, is it possible? Is it possible? To be a lifelong member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and after maybe 20, 30, 40, perhaps 50 years, you need to pay good money, literally hundreds or even thousands of dollars, to learn how to give Bible studies to people? How is it possible that we've sat in church for years, receiving and receiving, but never been trained to go out and give? This study has convicted me deeply, friends. As a pastor right now, part of my job is to support such fantastic institutions and at the same time do everything within my power to run them out of business. I'd love to see the announcement. And I I love, for instance, Michigan has the Emanuel Institute. Go there, please. It's wonderful, fantastic. But I'd love to see the day doors closed, churches doing the work. No need for it anymore. Free of charge, just attend the church. We'll give it out to you. We're going to teach you how to work for other people. You know, counterintuitive as it may be, statistically, look it up. Go to the Adventist.org website. Look at all the world church statistics. Compare unions and conferences and divisions. Do all the math you want. As counterintuitive as it may be, statistically, territories with fewer pastors almost inevitably grow faster. Somehow in the Western world, we look at, oh, man, I, I saw in Africa that there's this poor pastor there has like 30 churches. Oh, let's pray for him. But those 30 churches are bringing in souls that we're not doing in R1. South America, oh, this is a difficult time. But they're booming. Their accession rate is huge. And we look at them as the one to be pitied. I guarantee you, or there should be, a prayer meeting down there. Lord, they're not growing in North America. How can we help them? Now, a reasonable argument could be made that pastors actually squelch or kill church growth. I'm not making that argument today. Be careful. But I believe that argument could be made not because pastors are doing a bad job. I just think they're doing the wrong job very well. Friends, they're not doing a bad job. They're doing your job. And too many of us aren't doing a single job at all. Again, let me be crystal clear and not misunderstood. Our big problem isn't poor pastors but poor expectations of pastors held by both lay people and ministers alike. It isn't pastors that are doing their job poorly. They're just doing the wrong job well. They're doing your job. I firmly believe that conversations of mutual respect and humility need to occur all over the Seventh-day Adventist Church where the agreement is reached the pastor needs to start doing his job so you can start doing your job And this work can be finished and we can go home. To truly be a people of the book. What we claim, that's our moniker. To truly be a people of the book. We should work the way the book directs. Inspiration is warned and history has demonstrated that settled pastors lead to settled elders and settled deacons and settled members and we all settle right in at home but friends this world is not our home Jesus is coming soon and there's going to be people who will work for him in the last days my question is are you one of them are you willing to take what little you know I only I only I don't know that I could give a bible study on a 2300 days fine don't do that bible study do the one you know as one pastor said stir what you got start right where you are and go from there and if you don't know what to do, talk to your pastor. Train me. Well, I'm not really skilled at that. Talk to the conference. Train him to train me. <laughs> conference brother, I don't know. Talk to the union. Go all the way up the chain. But friends, we are supposed to be a movement. And the, the success of any movement is defined by movement. A movement that stops isn't. We should work the way the book directs. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I don't know that much has changed in the last 2,000 years. The natural tendency is to receive for ourself. We're going to be coming back to that this evening. But to receive for ourselves, to take for ourselves, even the beautiful gospel message, it's all about me. It's me, me. But friends, heaven is not about you. Heaven is about you serving others. And we need to practice being heavenly citizens even here. In the Seventh Adventist Church, member should be synonymous with missionary. We have too many watchers and not nearly enough workers. The greatest need in the Seventh Adventist Church is not more money, more ministers, or even more members. We need missionaries, individual members trained to win souls and willing to go, not just around the, uh, across the sea, but to across the street. And I believe it's Mark Finley who talked about, the Lord's not going to call you to be a missionary where you aren't until you're a missionary where you are. Short-term mission work is great. Go around the world. Go do something. Learn how to do it, but bring it home. Friends, we are living in a mission field, whether you believe it or not. You might not realize it, but the North American division is only about 6% of the world church. 94% of the world church is elsewhere. We are a mission field. And we need missionaries right here. And the great thing is you don't have to raise money to do it. You don't have to get a sponsor. You don't have to write a letter. You don't have to approach your aunt in an awkward way asking for money. Just go win a soul. You shouldn't have to pay money to go have learn it. Talk to your pastor. Go to your local church. Everything, every resource you need is free and available. And especially in this modern technological age, every resource is available. The question is, where are the workers? It's a burden on my heart, and I hope it's a burden on yours. We, don't, we need men and women who don't merely take the occasional mission trip, but live the consistent mission lifestyle of Jesus Christ and his ministry for others. I've been telling you all week I'm going to make an appeal. And here it comes. I wasn't kidding. I told you exactly what it's going to be from night one. You've been thinking about it, hopefully praying about it, and now I want to put that appeal out there. The Lord wants to use you to reach someone else. Period. And I don't want to settle down for this concept of presence evangelism where, you know what, my ministry is to smile. Well, that's good. That's a starting point. But then open your mouth and say something. Right? My ministry is is, is health. I'm, I'm in very good shape and I'm a vegan. Great. But win someone to Jesus through it. Ministry is not about us, friends. It's about doing for others. Church isn't about us. It's not about finding the, oh, these have got the most comfortable seats, the best lights, the best preacher. Even if, oh, that preacher's really preaching straight truth, unless that truth goes through you to someone else, it's of no good. We're all supposed to be ministers. A nation, a peculiar people, a holy nation, a minister. So my question is, Will you allow the Lord to work through you, and timidly and shakingly, even though you don't feel the Spirit move, there's not a big weepy appeal, I'm not crying, I'm not telling you a story about some sort of thing that's going to gut-wrench, I just want you to see from God's Word that you need to work for Him. That's the bottom line. First of all, let me ask the question, have you understood what I'm trying to say? Has it been clear? Can you raise your hand if it's Okay, good. Again, if you disagree, that's one thing, but at least you understood the message I was trying to convey praise the Lord. Now the question is, are you willing to go and win a soul for Jesus? Are you willing to go to your neighbor and knock on their door? Are you willing to have that, what at first will seem like a very awkward conversation about, you know, spiritual things, or this incredible truth I just learned at church, or, you know, I, I, I love this tip. It's like, you know, my pastor challenged us this week and I'm feeling I need somebody to do a Bible study with and they said I should do this. Can you be my guinea pig? It works. <laughs> right? Just whatever club you have in your bag, swing it for the Lord. You know, Whatever your strength is, Win somebody to Jesus. But don't come with all this. We got 4.0 students here. We got youth. We have energy. We have some money in the room. That's fine. Whatever your gift is. But don't excuse to the work of institutions your work to win a soul. God wants to use you to bring someone to Jesus. And I believe with all of my heart that if you, I'll give you an example. I'm always a little uneasy with the With the canvas and I'm fine with the canvas. It's good. We want to do surveys. If if someone wants to actually have a health message meeting, we should have that. We should provide that. We need to know if they're interested. But I keep trying to, there's different canvases and I keep trying to tweak it and I'm never comfortable. As you can tell, I'm not really uh, a stay in one place kind of guy. And I just started on on this one occasion. We were with our church a few months ago doing outreach and I went down to one neighborhood and there was, a, uh, there was a lady standing out in the street with another lady who had turned me down for Bible studies and I was walking back down the street and I could tell they were talking about it because it was like pss, 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 pss. and it got so awkward at one point I was just like hi <laughs> how you doing I know you're talking about me the jig is up okay um uh, she just, oh, I says, and she was the one lady who explained, oh, I thought you were the, you know, the, the, landowner, the, the the landlord, and I'm not. And I was like, nope, I'm just the pastor from down the street giving out Bible studies to anyone who wants to. And the other lady was standing there. It's like, speaking of which, hey, do you want a Bible study? And she's like, I don't know. And I said, come on, stop clowning around. You know you want a Bible study. You know you, know you want to learn what the Word of God. says. look at you. You want to know the Bible? Come on now. Right? She said, you know, okay, yeah, I I guess I need to know the Bible. My wife and I and our two children went over to her house. We've been going there for three months now every week. She's on lesson number nine or ten, something like that. She's fully aware of who the Antichrist is, and she's still on board. We're starting our meetings coming up this next week. When I get home Thursday night, we're starting our meetings now in Muskegon, the other church, and she has it on her calendar. She's marked out every day of those meetings to come there. And it's because I said, hey, you want a Bible study? Come on, you know you want a Bible study. Stop playing around. Come on, get a Bible study. I'm not saying that that's the method everyone should use, right? That's just the club that's in my bag, and I decided to take a swing, right? I don't know your personality, but God wants to use you as an individual to work for him. Friends, you can reach someone that the minister can't. You have someone in your life, someone in your sphere of influence, someone around you that you know needs the truth as it is in Jesus. Will you be the third angel's messenger to take them that word of truth? So you've already understood the message. So here's my asking. I'm just going to ask this. I, and you know what? You don't even have to come down front. But if, and I, and I don't want, if only five people do it, that's fine. I don't want numbers. I'm not looking for quantity. I'm looking for Quality. If you want to say, Lord, and put a time frame on it. Somebody said, I don't know about that year thing. All right, make it six months. (laughs) Or make it longer, but don't put it so far off that it fades off on the horizon, right? So just say, Lord, six months from now or one year from now, whatever it is. But in a determined time frame, through your grace, I'm going to help win someone to Jesus Christ. Now, that may not go from outright pagan to head deacon in that amount of time, right? But you're going to express your faith through your own voice to someone you know. And they're going to respond. And if that person doesn't work, don't say, like, oh, I guess it was a failure. Try again. Reach someone else. Jesus said, when you go out, some are going to reject you. Just your feet off, you know, go to the next house. But during the course of this next, let's say, year, you will meet someone to give Bible studies to and share the love and truth of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Do you understand the appeal? Praise the Lord. If you want to commit to it and make a solemn covenant before God, because by the way, if you had a pastor, I'm not done, you can keep playing. <laughs> I know she's like, I'm all out of music. He's just going on. That's all right, it's Sabbath. What else you got to do? Um, if you had a pastor that won, let's say, individually, he won 20 people to the Lord every year, just his own soul winning efforts. He was door to door door. To, That's great, and next year he does it again, and next year he does it again. Your church is adding members. But the only way to multiply members is to have more people, multiple people, individually adding. Right? Wouldn't it be fantastic if instead that guy only won one person but taught 19 others how to win, so you got the same, the first year you had the same net result of 20 people. But each of them, the next year won another one. And each year, so he just keeps winning his one and training his 20. The church is going to grow better. Will you be that one who helps the church multiply? I'm not asking you to multiply. I'm not asking for the day of Pentecost. I'm asking for simple addition, just one. If you want to commit to being that person, would you stand with me today? And if you don't want to do it, don't stand. It's a very rare appeal, but I'm telling you, sit down if you don't want to do it. But this morning, you're going to make a covenant with the Lord. There is someone I'm going to reach for you through your power. I can't do it on my own, but through you, I can do all things. Lord, train me, equip me, and send me out. Here am I. Send me. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your marvelous plan of redemption. It's not just a plan of destruction to destroy evil. You want to save sinners. And amazingly, you want to to use redeemed sinners to reach other sinners. And Lord, all of us, employee, lay member, wherever we are on the spectrum, have likely lost sight of the fact that the gospel is individual work. Lord, this isn't wholesale, this is retail, one-on-one, one-on-one. So Lord, I want to ask that you seal these covenants that have been made before you today that you will honor them and that you will arrange for divine appointments, that you will keep all discouragement and distraction away, give them endurance and fortitude and strength to do your work your way. Make each one of us a vehicle for presenting the three angels' message you've entrusted us with. Disabuse from our minds this idea that the organization's got it under control, the great institution, we have this monolithic Lord, help us to see that our neighbor needs us. And beyond just seeing the need, Lord, through your grace, train us, equip us, strengthen us to fulfill that need so that this time next year, there'll be this many more people in your faith. Lord, it's a big task, but we serve a big God. So we ask that you do great things through these humble, frail instruments, for we pray it in the almighty name of Jesus Christ.